Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. It's been a hectic week in the Marin household. Somebody told me that when I mentioned about moving last week, that they thought I was leaving the church and moving somewhere else. So I want to clarify that. I'm just moving homes from one house to a house we've been building in a while. So I'll be here. Well, my desire is until I retire, you guys may wish me gone in a couple of years. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. This week has been a pivotal week in the United States, and I want to address it. But I don't want to address it in the sense of details. I want to address it in the sense of a framework that I want to leave each and every one of you with which to work and wrestle as you wrestle with the proceedings of this past week in the United States Supreme Court. I'm not here to be your conscience. I'm not here to be your uh, moral authority. I'm here to preach the word of God and leave you with a framework from which you to wrestle with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's nice to see some fresh faces in the church, and I would love to meet all of you. I know I've met one person, so I want to welcome Alex. And here with Carrie, and I see some other people that I forget names on that, but thank you for coming and visiting with us. So the framework I want to give you, I want to first explain what a framework is. A framework, if you think of my wife and I who built a house, a framework, when you have the frame of a house or let's say of a garage, it's just a frame. Somebody else can come and decide how to decorate it, how to fill it in, how to decide where to make divisions, where to make rooms separate. A framework is just something for which to work with. When math, you have a framework when it comes to algebra, which is X, find the value for X. But you can decide how to do that. And so there were three cases that were decided in the Supreme Court this week that I want to mention about. The first one that came down was the Second Amendment in New York City. In New York City has very restrictive gun laws, so much to the point where you had to show a very unique and special interest by which to be able to a con a receive a concealed carry license. And I know here in Texas, it's the opposite. Uh, we just passed here a constitutional carry where you no longer need to get a license, you can carry, and I wouldn't doubt it if many of us are packing today. <laughs> We're in Texas. But I don't want to decide whether Texas is right or New York is right. I want to give you a framework for which us as Christians are to live in relationship to our government and the legislative bodies in the United States. The second case that came down, which is in a little sense more pertinent to us, but not necessarily well known, was a case in Michigan, which had to do with funding of religious education. So here's the background that you may not know. The background was that Maine 
which is such a rural area, has so many rural areas, there aren't enough houses and enough people to publicly fund a public school. As you know here, those of us who have to deal with HOAs, your biggest tax bill is funding our public schools. And so in Maine, Maine decided that they were going to give taxpayer money to families who wanted to send their children to private schools. And everybody agreed upon that. However, in light of the social uh, things that are happening in school that may not align with our religious beliefs, some parents wanted to use that money to go to religious schools. And Maine said, no, we have to keep a separation of church and state, and we're not going to use state money to fund religious the attendance of religious school. Well, the Supreme Court decided in this case that you cannot use public funds for private school and discriminate against religious schools. If there were no money for private schools, then you'd be right to have no money for religious schools. And so that's how it went, and in the end, they decided that if you're going to fund private schools, you can fund religious schools. So that's how that went. I, didn't, I don't know if I made clear about the New York Amendment, but it struck down New York's restrictive Second Amendment rights and has brought them down to the point where instead of may issue a license, it is now will issue a license. Now New York can still decide it might take you 90 days to get that license, but now New York has to show extreme reasons why to deny you the license. Before, you had to show extreme reasons why you needed the license, and now that's that. And then the big one, which came down on Friday, which is Roe v. Wade. It is a decision that has been debated in this country since it first came down in 1973, and I that's the year I was born, so that is something sometimes on Facebook, find out what happened big in your year, and that is always number one. We're not going to debate abortion today. That is not the purpose of this sermon, but I do want to give you a framework for which to deal with the ruling that came down. And the ruling that came down, unlike some people say, it is not to ban abortion. I hope your people are clear on that. Whether, whatever side you're on, it is the judicial system saying that that is not for us to decide. It is for the legislative bodies of each state and those who vote to vote whether they want that in their state or not. So they didn't ban abortion, they threw it back to the states and let the people decide in a form of voting. That being said, we're going to talk about how to deal with those three, those frameworks based on the Word of God. And so if you're in the book of Romans, I ask you to open your Bibles to chapter 13 specifically. Romans chapter 13. Now, my Bible, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and it has headings, but depending on your Bible, New King James or King James, there's usually headings. And the heading, Deborah, I know you use King James. What heading does it have to introduce the chapter? Chapter 13. 
Submit to government. Okay, mine says be subject to government. Now, be subject to government is not written in the Bible. It's a subject that man has put in there. But when you read the chapter, you see that it covers it pretty well, and it's indicative of what the chapter wants to say, and it uses similar words. So verse 1. Every person, who's that? And we're talking for this intent and purpose of those of us who live here in the United States. And we are here in the United States. So it says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now it doesn't say anything whether you like how they're governing or not. Right? So we have to be clear. It doesn't mean we like it or not. It just says you have to be subject to the governing authorities. And mind you, this is the Apostle Paul who is writing this, who spent the majority of time of his life in prison, and yet he's writing these words. He says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now the second sentence of part of this may surprise you. For there is how many? No. No authority except from God, and those which, are, which exist are established by God. Once again, I want to make clear, nothing is said whether you like how it's being governed or not. It is saying that all of us need to be subject to the governing authorities and that no authority is there except established by God. Therefore, in light of what Paul just said in verse 1, whoever resists authority has opposed the government. Is that what it says? No, it is opposed the ordinance of who? God. And they who have opposed will receive a condemnation upon themselves. I'm just going to stick as close and in a subject that can be very volatile and can make people upset. I'm going to try to stick as close to scripture without commentary as possible. And so I'm just going to expound on the verse. It says, if you resist in light of that no sub, that no authority is not established by God, if you resist the government authority, you're not resisting government, you're resisting who? God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. You never get in trouble with the law if you keep the law, right? You never get a speeding ticket if you don't speed. I've gotten about 20, 14 years <laughs> Verse four, and this is where it affects me personally, for I am a minister of God. Did you know that I'm not your only minister. Verse 4. For it, speaking of the government, is a minister of God to you for what? For good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now, in general, without thinking of the three cases in the Supreme Court. Basically, the government is there that if you steal, they're going to lock you up. If you murder, there is jail time. In, in Texas, there's capital punishment. 
And I found out how serious capital punishment is in Texas in a weird way, but let me share it with you. I used to pastor, my first church was the College Station Church in Texas A&M. And I had to visit an inmate in Huntsville, penitentiary. And Huntsville, if you don't know, it's one of the jails that does capital punishment, or at least usually in that time. I'm, I'm not aware if they do so now. So I called to make an appointment to visit, and they said, sorry, you cannot visit at the moment. We're on lockdown for two weeks. Okay. That's what they told me. So I called about a month later, and they said, no, sorry, you can't visit. We're on lockdown for two weeks. So I thought maybe the two weeks overlapped or something because it was about a month later coming here. So I said, let me wait six weeks. So I waited six weeks and I called again. And they said, we're on lockdown for two weeks. So at this point, I was like, okay, what causes a lockdown? One week before an execution and one week after an execution. And that's not when I realized how serious that jail is. Hmm. And verse 4 says, For it is a minister of good of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Now, evil can be what? Anything. At this point, we don't know. They are having drawn a specific example just what is evil. Now, some of the evils that we deal with in life are easy to define. You hear, I follow the police department on Twitter, and almost every day, two or three times, there is a gun shooting in the Houston area, and they paste the address, and so we can agree that that itself is evil. To shoot someone for no reason, a lot of times it's robbery or break-in or gang relatedness. So the government has been appointed there by God to deal with them because we don't want uh, criminals living freely in society. Verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary, once again, therefore in light of the two previous points, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath but also for conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God. They've been called ministers, and now servants of God, devoting themselves to the very thing. And when it comes to taxes and servanthood, despite the fact that we may not like the increasing taxes, they do provide services for us. You have the sewer, public schools, you have the roads, you have the fire department and the police department. You have some of these basic goods and that help us, and we, although none of us wants to pay taxes, I don't advise you to withhold your taxes unless you have legal loopholes for which to use legal. Verse 6, 7. Render, therefore, to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And let me just stick to the phrase here, custom to whom custom. Many of you know that a couple of months now, I don't know, time flies, 
I was 11 days in jury duty. And even though the judge shared her name with us, and we could call her by her first name, when we were in court, we had to address her as? So, is she God? No, right? But in light of Romans chapter 13, custom to whom custom is due, it does not violate my religious principles. I am not addressing her in a sense of a deity or worship. I can address her as your honor. There's nothing wrong with that. For example, if you get invited to the White House, whether this administration or previous administration or future administration, and you get up invited to uh, Congress, the, the, the speech of the president, excuse me, it's called the State of the Union, you're, I'm pretty sure that you're not gonna show up in shorts or ripped jeans or in dirty clothes from from if you work as a mechanic or if you're a doctor in your what are those things called? Scrubs. Scrubs, yeah, right? You're gonna show custom to who custom is doing. You're gonna show up properly dressed. Then Paul switches the argument here. We'll tie this back to the Supreme Court. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled what? The law. No matter how bad you treat me, I should treat you in love. Now many people misinterpret what love is. Love doesn't mean that you're a doormat. Love may mean that you walk away from that person who is abusing you or treating you bad, but you wish for them nothing but the best you pray for them, and you wish them to repent of their bad behavior, accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, change their life, and you guys can rejoice about that in eternity when God comes back again. Love does not mean a doormat. How do we know that? Because in the end, it is love that destroys the wicked. God is not acting less loving when he destroys the wicked as when he saves the righteous. Love has two sides to the coin, but all has to be done for the blessing of others. So Paul says, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And we're talking about the law of God. Verse 9, for this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not cover, and if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. No matter how bad you treat me, I'm, by faith and by trusting in God, I want to love you back into a faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to melt you with kindness. I want to treat you so well that you can't but help be changed, not by any goodness in me, but by the indwelling Christ shining through me. That is the goal. We may fail often. We are often patient even with our own children. But the goal is to love our neighbor as ourselves, 
and thereby fulfilling the law of God. But if you notice in this admonition that Paul is giving us in Romans 13 about being subjects to the governing authority, he called them ministers and he called them servants. Let me ask you this question. How many ministers and servants of my kind, right, pastors and religious leaders, servants, elders, do you know that are sinless and perfect? <laughs> Man, I'm offended. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, Dr. Knight used to have a book. Oh, he has a book called I Used to Be Perfect. And then he enumerated how legalist he was until he came to the cross of Jesus Christ and realized I used to be perfect in my own strength. But in his strength, I am more than conqueror when I'm weak. Side note. But right, none of us are perfect. No minister is perfect. And let me give you a parenthesis here. One of the hardest things of a minister's job is to correct the sinful behavior in love of somebody else, knowing that I have my own issues to deal with, right? But we've been called to point people not to self, but to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so if earthly ministers like myself are not perfect, could it be that government ministers are perfect? No, they're not perfect either. They make mistakes. They fall short, like we all do, of the glory of God. So no matter where you stand on these decisions, they should have kept the gun, the gun laws in New York. They should have not funded religious liberty. They should have upheld Roe v. Wade. No matter where you stand, According to what we just read, we have to accept their decisions. Doesn't mean we have to like their decisions, right? Because in the end, let me read you this quote. This is not the quote, Andrew. It's a different quote. Let me read you this quote. In the annals of human history, this is from Patriarchs and Kings, no, sorry, Prophets and Kings 499 slash page 500 because it goes to the other page. In the annals of human history, the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires appear as if dependent on the will and prowess of men. Right? We think, oh, we voted in a minute. We voted him out, right? The shaping of events seems to a great degree to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice, speaking of man. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold, above, behind, and through all the play and counterplay of human interests and power and passions, the agencies of the all-merciful one silently, patiently, working out the counsels of his own will. God is in control. Now what we don't know in these three rulings, was it his active will or his passive will? It, never, it doesn't matter because it is God's will. Now we don't know how this is going to play out. 
But what we do know is that I'd rather follow his lead and see what the future holds under this conditions because I know that my God is ultimately in control. Now, something else I want to point out about Romans 13 is that it talks about the two greatest commandments, or does it? It does so directly, and it does so indirectly. What are the two greatest commandments? Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Paul in Romans 13 said, if you follow the commandments he listed and follow his advice in Romans 13, he said, you are loving who? Your neighbor. He didn't mention the first commandment of the two greatest commandments. Why is that? Because the Ten Commandments are listed in two tables of stone. You think he could have listed all of them in ten, right? One tablet, Ten Commandments. But he listed them in two, and as I've mentioned in the past before, they're not five and five. The Ten Commandments, you would think, divide them evenly, five and five. They're divided four and six. The first four deal with my relationship with God. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And do not worship, sorry, the second was do not have any graven images, right? Do not worship idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Those have to do with my relationship with God. In no instance do you or the government has any right to interfere with my relationship with God. The moment government steps on those four commandments, they have overstepped their boundaries. We are no longer in subjection to them. How do we know? We see stories in Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 3, when they tried to make them worship the golden image, the three young men said, no way, Jose, we're not doing that. We're not even going to fake it and tie our shoes while the music is going. We're going to make it clear that we only worship the God of heaven. However, you notice, Paul did mention, love your neighbor as yourself. Because the last six commandments have to do with how you and I treat each other. And how you treat your mother, honor your father and your mother. The government has a role to play in that because if your kids try to stab you in the back, and I'm talking about literally, you better believe the government's going to come and try to keep you from harm. If there's abuse in the family, parents abusing the kids, the government's going to come in and try to put those kids in a better home. That has been regulated to the government, and in a sense, we are the government by our representation, and God can regulate that. He can regulate marriage, the government, as well, which the Supreme Court years ago regulated in a way that we don't like, at least me as a minister, where it destroyed the definition of marriage between a man and a woman. And I am not going to be, I don't like it, but I'm subject to the government. Because ministers make mistakes and they have to answer to who? You protest, you don't like it, you share what you like or don't like, but you move on. Because God is in control. 
active will or passive will, it does not matter. And to bring home that point of active will and passive will, that God is in control, and you have to trust Him no matter how bleak it looks. I want to ask you this philosophical question that I've asked before. How many of you would like to live in a world where Satan is in control just 1%? No, right? Now, that doesn't mean bad things don't happen to us. But in the end, God is in control. And if my life should be taken from me, I have a home in glory that I'll shine just so. So Paul, when he lists the commandments he lists, if you notice, they're the commandments in the second table. Do not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And then he says, because he didn't list all six, if there's any other commandment, it is summed up in the same. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So whether you agree with the three rulings or not, trust God that he is in control. Trust God that he will never leave you, nor forsake you. Before I wrap up, I do want to point something out. Let's pretend this is the ultra-right. And by what I mean the ultra-right is that we know, as students of prophecy, that the pendulum is going to swing so far right that there is going to be religious persecution upon the first four commandments of the Bible, where God cannot, where man should not dare to venture. However, that's the far religious right, or the far right, religious or not religious. Then, let's say this is the far, and it has nothing to do with the drums, it's just right. <laughs> this is the far left, right? Where anything goes, where hedonism abounds, where where definitions no longer mean anything. We need to live here, centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there are things on this side that I want to protect. Liberty of conscience, not mob rule. You know, freedom of choice, freedom of conscience. There are things here that I want to protect too. I want to be generous with neighbors. I want to be generous with people. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to be open with people and not necessarily push my religious views on people because God doesn't force his religious views on people. He acts by persuasion. However, the government does have authority. How many of us like that there are laws against not murdering? Right? About protecting your rights and not stealing your property. Those things are there. And so the government has jurisdiction on the last six pages. So no matter which of the three rulings you preferred or not, on either side of these three rulings, we have to live by it and then act accordingly. Let's say you are pro more gun restriction. Then talk to people who want to listen to you and try to persuade them to your way. What are you going to do? Storm the government? That's not what we've been called to. 
go to that quote now. It's a quote that I specifically wanted to put in. Says the government under which Jesus lived was corrupt and oppressive. Was what? Corrupt, corrupt and oppressive. He's talking about the Roman government. Same government which Paul told us to be subject to. On every hand were crying abuses, extortion, intolerance, and grinding cruelty. Yet the Savior attempted no civil reforms. He attacked no national abuses, nor condemned the national enemies. He did not interfere with the authority or administration of those in power. He who was our example kept aloof from earthly governments. He's our example, yet he kept aloof from earthly governments. Not because he was, and this is the key, not because he was indifferent to the woes of men, but because the remedy did not lie merely in human and external measures. To be efficient, the cure must reach men individually and must regenerate the heart. And in the larger context of scripture and in the larger context of even her writings, this does not mean you don't vote. Right? This does not mean you don't get involved. But what she's saying is that if you paint the... What? Am I not But if you paint it pretty and it's moldy and corrupt on the inside, you've done nothing. God wants your heart and the heart of the nation and the heart of individuals. God changes you from the inside out, not from the outside in. No matter where you stand on these three rulings, and you can vote on these three rulings if they should ever come, but that's not our mission. Vote, and, and I encourage voting, vote to the dictates of your conscience. But we're not here to preach Republican Party or Democratic Party or any other party. We're not, like they say in memes, we're not here for the elephant or for the donkey, we're here for the lamb. The lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Let's say you agree with all the rulings. If you have a bad attitude and you're boastful and arrogant about it, you're going to have to answer to God. Let's say you don't agree with the rulings, and you make yourself such a odor to everybody who agrees with it, that they no longer want to hear the gospel from you, then you have cut off your own feet for your own personal pride. See, it's not about party politics. It's about the truth. And the truth is a capital T. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Many people are affected by these three laws of the past. But we're affected by every law that passes in one way or another. And I'm reminded that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yes, I'll vote, but I'll keep it to myself. And if my voting issue comes up and it's positive to my liking, 
in private I'll kneel and I'll praise to God. And I'll perhaps in my inner circle, if somebody asks me to direct a question about it, I'll answer it. But to force it on others. No. We're not about force. Because Jesus said, and I'll conclude here, if I be lifted up, like a smooth, like a soothing, well-smelling kitchen aroma that draws all the kids to the table. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Then in heaven, we can ask God, is this really right? Is this really right? Is this really right? But you know what's the beauty of doing that in heaven? We can laugh it off together. Hand by hand, liberal and conservative. Because we've all been there by only one way and one way of the blood of Jesus Christ. So don't let the rulings upset you. Don't let them overwhelm you. Don't let them overjoy you. We're not here for earthly governments. We're here for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you for all that you provide. Father, may we stay focused on what matters. What matters is you. You and your kingdom. And this gospel shall be preached to the end of the world. Then the end will come. We trust in that, Father. In your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.